0: Good morning. Hey, uh, I've seen some new faces here this morning, so if we have not yet met, my name is Nathan, and uh, I want to, before we get going, real quick, thank a couple people. I actually got to rest last week and take a week off, and so will you join with me in thanking David Perez in continuing our sermon series? And Brett Gauthier for doing communion for us last week. Thank you. One more thing I want to do before we get into the sermon. If you are currently serving or have served in our armed forces, will you please stand up if you're able to? All right, stay standing. Stay standing just for a minute. I'm sorry. So all the gratitude in the world would not be enough, but we can pray for you this morning. And so if you're, if you're near somebody who's standing up, would you just put a hand on their shoulder or reach your hand out to them and pray with me? Heavenly Father, we cannot possibly fathom, understand, put words to all that those who are standing here in this room have seen, and yet we know that you do. You see so much more than we see, and you understand so much more than we understand. And maybe the greatest evidence of that is that you understand sacrifice. You understand sending your son to the cross. And so as we look at those standing in our midst, as we look around at those in our lives who serve or have served, will you remind us of that picture of sacrifice that you sent your son to the cross for us and fill our hearts with gratitude, that you have put that picture in front of us in the form of those who stand among us who have served. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Well, I want to have you say something this morning, and then we're going to talk about it. So would you repeat this after me? What What got me here won't get me there. One more time, what got me here, got me here. Won't, get me won't get me there. That idea. If that idea would sink into my heart, I would live my life differently. And if that one idea could sink into your heart, you would live your life differently. In fact, in fact, it's the very acceptance or rejection of that idea that makes all the difference in this, this contrast and this dynamic that we've been talking about over the last month. That as we've gone through Paul's letter to the Philippians, we've talked about how you can really walk through life one of two ways. You could go through life like a thermometer. In other words, a thermometer, it registers the conditions of the climate around it. So when things heat up, people that walk through life like a thermometer, they reach boiling points. And when things cool off and people cool off toward them and circumstances get real cold, they get icy cold, and they harden toward everything and everyone around them. But there's another way to walk through life, and it's like, like a thermostat. And to walk through life like a thermostat means that there is some kind of power beyond you, that it's, it's at work within you, and it affects and it impacts the climate around you every single place that you go. And and we've talked about this as we've started, as we've gone through this series, that you really discover whether you're living like a thermometer or a thermostat when you come up against a few different things. One of those things are the circumstances in front of you that oftentimes we'll discover, well, am, am I living like a thermometer or a thermostat when we just encounter circumstances? Another way we discover are the people in front of us. There's the circumstances in front of us and then the people around us. But as we'll talk about this morning, there's a third element in which we discover, am I walking through life like a thermometer or like a thermostat? There's another element that affects us, and it's simply us. It's us, because in the background for every single person in here, there are some areas of life that maybe you began to depend on more than normal. And there are, there are some places that tend to affect you more than others. There are some places maybe that you've trusted in your abilities and I've trusted in my abilities to drive forward the progress of where I'm at right now in this season of life. It was a skill set that maybe you were born with or that you honed and you developed. It was a relational connection that you were able to leverage. It was a job title that maybe you thought told you more about who you are than it actually does. It's a dedication that you have. It's a way of operating. It's an ability to spot timing of things coming together and leverage that. And we stand back and we look at all this stuff, and it's easy to look at it and go, well, if all that got me here, couldn't that get me there? Couldn't that make me go faster? Couldn't that take me further? Couldn't that make me go higher? And what complicates all of this for us is that when you begin to trust in these areas over and over, we reach a new level. We make it part of our identity. And it begins to say something about who we are. And when that happens, the temperature, it starts to get out of whack. And the temperature starts to rise and fall within us to these extremes over and over again. Maybe the best way to describe this, do you remember the first time you put a bumper sticker on a car? And this is not a knock on anybody who, who has bumper stickers on their car. But when, maybe when you first put it on, it was an interest. Right? Maybe it was a hobby and then as time went on, it became a passion, and then you began to identify with it. Here, let me just throw out this, this hypothetical situation, strictly hypothetical. You are a Michigan fan, okay? You're a Michigan, again, hypothetical, Kim, hypothetical, okay? Ohio State fans can't get there on this one, all right. And you're driving down the road, and because you're a Michigan fan, you are incredible at driving down the road, Okay? I mean, Jesus himself would say, you're like washing the feet of those who drive next to you because you're that good at driving down the road. And suddenly, this car gets in front of you. And there's an Ohio State sticker on the back of that car. And they didn't, they didn't use their blinker. And, and maybe you didn't see them. You didn't see their face or anything, but you're sure they did it aggressively and out of spite. And what's happening inside you? Well, the temperature's starting to rise. Because maybe you, at some point, began to identify with that area, or maybe a more real-life scenario. You've got a child who works really, really hard in school, and you're so proud of them when they came home with that 3.5 or that 4.0 that you went and bought this bumper sticker that's widely available. My child is an honor student at such and such school, and you just want the whole world to know. But as you're driving down the street one day, somebody pulls in front of you, and they've got this sticker, It says, my student beat up your honorable student. (laughs) And what's going on in you? The temperature is beginning to rise. See, every single one of us, whether we can see it in our lives or not, we know somebody that if you had to put a bumper sticker on their life, you could put one there. There's maybe an athletic ability. There's an athletic ability that you would put on their life, but life cut it off with an injury. Grades cut it off with eligibility. Maybe it's a job or a place of work, of employment. You'd put that bumper sticker on their life, and then life cut it off with the loss of a job. It was a relationship that was going to be the one, and life cut it off. And it's in these areas. It's in these different areas, because we all go down the road of life with bumper stickers on us. And it's those areas that, if challenged, if they falter, if they're questioned, are temperature. Can start to get out of whack. It can really get out of whack. And if we don't recognize those areas, and if we do not ask the question that we're gonna get to in just a few minutes here, we run the risk of walking through life trying to control the climate around us and control other people and control our circumstances. And that is a miserable, miserable way to live. Or when you recognize those areas, when you ask the question that we're gonna get to this morning, what happens? you begin to live with a default temperature setting that Paul brings up over and over and over in Philippians, and it's simply this, joy. Joy. You begin to walk through life with joy. Now, Paul was very aware of this dynamic because when Paul wrote his letter to the Philippians, as, as you know, if you've been here the last few weeks, he was sitting in chains. He was imprisoned, whether it was house arrest or in a prison cell, we don't know, but he was in chains and he had become aware that there were people teaching the church at philippi there were people near them in their vicinity called judaizers and what judaizers were teaching was that yeah well there's what jesus did on the cross that makes you right with god but you want to know what really makes you right you want to know what really makes you enough it's what you can do it's what you can accomplish it's your station in life it's what you make happen And Paul is looking at all this, and with this resounding no at the beginning of Philippians 3, he says, no, we put no confidence in the flesh, none whatsoever. And you'd expect a statement like that from Paul, because Paul is sitting in chains, and there's not much. When you look at Paul's life at that moment, there's really not much to look at. And so Paul, Paul says, well, let me tell you about my past, because I lived in such a way that would appease these Judaizers. They would say it's all about you and it's all about what you can make happen and it's all about what you can do and what you accomplish. So let me point you back to my past. And he says this in Philippians chapter three, verse four, you can follow along in your Bibles or on screen. He says, if someone thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. In other words, if you wanna compare bumper stickers if you wanna compare trophies on the mantle at home, we can do that. And he, he what he's gonna do is he's gonna list these different areas that when you look at this list, it's very applicable to a Jewish person in the first century. But when you think about us, it's kind of hard to make that connection until you think about each thing he lists, and suddenly it becomes a very, very relevant list. You just have to get past the incredibly awkward, awkward beginning to that list. Here's what he says. If anyone thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day. And you go, what, Paul? You gonna know, brag about that? Yeah, you're giggling like junior high and like my inner junior higher right now. You gonna know, brag about that? And and here's if we could get past the, the specific that he's pointed out here. Circumcision was this physical mark that Jewish people would receive as a sign of God's covenant, his promise with them. And if you had this physical mark, you were right in the eyes of God. This is what they believed. And as I thought about that, I thought, huh, so physical appearance. No, we couldn't relate to that. We couldn't relate to that. Do we not zero in on physical appearance? As to, Just to show that we're right, that we're enough? Of course we do. Paul goes on. He says, not only was I circumcised on the eighth day, but I'm of the people of Israel. Now, this is a reference to God's chosen people, that the nation of Israel would be God's chosen people, and there would be a special relationship between God and his chosen people. In other words, Paul, he wasn't just associating, he he wasn't just saying, look, I could look back and say I've got the physical mark, I can boast in that, but I'm also associated with a place. I'm tied to a place, we get this, right? If somebody's from Hollywood, where where does our mind go? Hollywood, acting, you know, stardom, the walk of fame, and we can point at many names that were tied to Hollywood, Nashville. Nashville. Nashville's produced many music stars. And you can think of names that came out of Nashville. There's a place in Manhattan, in Harlem, Rucker Park. Many of, some of the greatest names in basketball came out of Rucker Park. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Wilt Chamberlain, Julius Irving, Dr. J, Nathan Harrison, okay? All these incredible names <laughs> came out of... I actually skipped an NBA contract for preaching, all right? But we associate names with places, do we not? All around us, on really big stages and in our personal lives. Because when we talk to people, do we not talk about we live in a neighborhood, we work at a certain place, we're part of a certain gym, we do, we're tied to all these different social clubs, all these different, maybe it's band, maybe it's a sports team, it's social media. Paul says, I get it. I get it, we'll tie ourselves to places in life. He continues. He said, I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. Now, this took a little bit of research, but when you think about the different tribes of Israel, before Israel was ever a place, it was a person. And before he was ever Israel, he was Jacob. And Jacob had 12 sons. And 11 of those sons were born outside of the promised land that God was, had promised to his people. But one was born in the promised land, and it was Benjamin. And from that lineage, numerous leaders, numerous kings came out of this lineage. And Paul is looking back and he said, yeah, I'm from that one. We're the only ones from the promised land. Have you lived there? I mean, do you catch yourself making statements at times that say, I'm the only. Nobody else gets it. I'm set apart. I'm the only one who understands my story in what I'm walking through. And when we do that, we tend to push others out. and We tend to be set. We set ourselves apart. He keeps going. He said, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. So now Paul is starting to point at his pedigree. He says, I'm a purebred Hebrew. In other words, my mom, Hebrew. My dad, Hebrew. And as he's looking back, he's, he says, I'm, I'm purebred. This so explains why I can't figure out our dog, okay? When we got our dog, we were like, what kind of dog is this? They were like, it's a, it's a shepherd, and it's a bloodhound, and it's a cattle dog. And I went, okay. And all of those apparently have opposite behaviors. So this dog, if, if you were to meet our dog, he just, I mean, you can tell he doesn't know what to do. And then we took him to the vet one day. And they're looking at the stripes on his head, and they said, Does he bolt? Like, when you open the door, does he bolt? I was like, yeah, I've chased him around the neighborhood like five times. And he said, yeah, because he's part husky. I was like, oh, man. And, And Paul's looking at all that. He said, there's been no mixing. Dad is Hebrew. Mom is Hebrew, which means we held to some customs. And we held to some traditions. And we did things and we do things the way we've always done them. This is why. When I do premarital counseling, one of my favorite questions to ask is, Let's talk about the holidays. What are your plans for the holidays when you get married? And if you're married, you know where this is going. (laughs) And what you find out is how one side of the family has always done things and how the other side of the family has always done things. And it's a challenge, isn't it? It's a challenge to figure out what are the holidays going to look like? And Paul said, I don't have to worry about it because I'm a purebred Hebrew. And then he shifts into his own doing. This was all just identity stuff. Then he says, in regard to the law, I'm a Pharisee. I can boast in being a Pharisee. And the Pharisees were some of the strictest self-disciplinarians when it came to following the letter of God's law. And he said, I associated with the best, the most strict. And if we were around other people, it was to point the finger and tell them, no, you do it like we do it. Now, isn't it true that sometimes we wrap up our identity in the people we associate with? Yeah, because we like, to think, we like to gravitate to those who think like us and talk like us and look like us. Paul said, I could, I could boast on that. He lists two more things. He says, as for zeal, persecuting the church, I was so passionate about what I do. I came to work first. I left work last. And I worked most intensely. And his pride was in his passion. And then, as for righteousness, based on the law, faultless. In other words, I've got a perfect track record. Can, can you relate to that? Perfection and performance? If you've ever seen this old movie, it might be one of the most pointless movies you've ever seen in your life, Napoleon Dynamite. We all have a little Uncle Rico in us. And we can throw that football over that mountain. If you haven't seen it, go see it. You'll probably want that couple hours of your life back, but it's funny. <laughs> now, you stand back and you look at this list that Paul has made here. And when you look at his specifics, it's not very relatable. But when you look at the parallels to our lives, it's very relevant. And it's very relatable. And you could look at this list and you can say, you know what? These are good things. I mean, they can get extreme, and they can get out of whack, and they can send our temperature all kinds of different directions. But there's some good in it, isn't there? And Paul would say, yeah, but as we'll find out in a minute, there's something better. These are good things. But part of why Paul is listing this is because he's trying to let them know that some of the things that are so good to you may not be the greatest good for you. I still remember first grade, Ms. Heinrich's class, okay? She had, before spreadsheets were a thing, all right? She drew out a spreadsheet on this poster board, had the name of every kid in the class, and every week of the year. And every single week of the year, we would have a spelling test. And if you got every single word right, you got a sticker next to your name for that week. By the end of the year, I'm just gonna brag for a second, okay? By the end of the year, Nathan Harrison, sticker in every single week. You guys are not as excited as I was, or am still. So. Here's what happened. All right, oh man. I'm gonna face judgment for this. Okay, here's what happened. So I go through first grade and I'm like, guess what? Didn't miss a spelling word all year. And my friends thought I was really cool. And so this, this began to become a passion for me. And spelling tests were like the thing every single year. So I got to fifth grade, Dutch Creek Elementary School, and they say, hey do you want to participate in the spelling bee? Be in the library after school. So I did the spelling bee, won the spelling bee in fifth grade, and then back-to-back champion sixth grade won the spelling bee. So I'm really proud of this. I get to junior high, and we get to this class, and they say, hey, tell us something about you that we may not know. Well, what was I going to say? Well, in first grade, I never lost, I never missed a spelling word, and I won the spelling, spelling bee two, two years in a row. And I'm thinking, I am so cool. This kid behind me, and he's huge. He's like, you're a dork. (laughs) It's like, hmm, so what was good to me may not be the greatest good for me going forward. It could get me really, really hurt. And Paul, Paul holds up this list, and he says, look, it could be good, but it's not the greatest good. He's going to advance his argument, and it's as if he's saying, you know what, got me to here, and what got you to here may not get you to there. And there is what he's going to talk about next. He says in verse 9, but whatever were gains to me, whatever from that list of good things were, were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss. So not just those things. He says, all things. I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whose sake I have lost all things. And then he makes this statement. I consider them garbage. Garbage, Paul? I mean, it's back-to-back spelling bee champion. He says, yeah, garbage. It's garbage. Because you know why? If he was standing here, if he was looking at Nathan in junior high, he'd say, because that's not your identity. Because you're not found in that list of potentially good things that I just listed off. Why? That I may gain Christ and be, look at this word. What's that word? Found. Found in Him. Do you want to know where that identity actually comes from? It's in Christ. It's in Christ. Oh, wait, 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 I thought it was my perfect track record and I thought it was the people I associate with and I thought that it was just because I was set apart. Paul says, no, that's garbage. That's garbage. That's what the Judaizers were trying to teach you. Your identity's found in Christ. And he continues, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. And he says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Paul says, that list I just listed off for for Paul, that was knowing about Jesus. He says, but I want to know Jesus. There's no substitute. There is no substitute for knowing Jesus. You can know all about him. Paul says, but the best, the greatest good is to know him. Not that I've already attained this, he says in verse 12. Not that I've already obtained this, or I've already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. So he's going to pivot now. He says, look, I'm looking back, and I'm realizing it's not, it's not enough. It's garbage. It's not the greatest good, but now I'm going to pivot, and I'm going to look ahead, and in that pivot point, we're going to get to a question that we've all got to ask ourselves as we pivot from past to present to future. He says, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul recognized that Paul had enough righteousness to stay out of trouble with people and nowhere near enough righteousness to be right with God. He had enough righteousness to stay out of trouble but nowhere near enough righteousness to get into heaven. He needed Christ for that. And so all that, all that brings me to this question that as you and I, as we look at those areas of our life, as we look at the passions, as we look at the maybe identity markers we've leaned on to get us to where we are, With this statement in the back of our mind that what got me here won't get me there, we've got to ask a question. Am I settling for good things at the expense of God things? Am I settling for good things at the expense of God things? In other words, am I hoping that what got me here is going to get me there? I was so reminded of a, just a life illustration of this. We used to, when we used to work with the youth group, go on this winter camp to Pagosa Springs. And one of the places we would go when we took this trip to Pagosa is we'd go to the Pagosa Hot Springs. And I can't remember, this might have been four years ago, um, I was sitting with our bus driver in the waiting area, and I told the whole group, hey, hop out, we're going to head back, and they're all in the locker room, and I'm sitting with the driver... And suddenly there's this loud entourage that's coming through. And I looked up and I see like security looking guys and bodyguard looking guys. And Johnny Depp is just walking through the waiting area. And like my jaw hit the floor. And I immediately thought of Ryan Long who was with us. And one of the things you got to know about Ryan Long is if you go enough places with Ryan Long, you are going to run into famous people. He just runs into them all the time. And he's not out there. And I thought, I love this. Ryan's not here. And I get to say, I saw Johnny Depp, but he didn't. Well, Johnny Depp leaves. Whole group comes through. I start telling these high school girls Johnny Depp just walked through. And they're like, my life's over. I missed him. And anyhow, we get out to the bus. And it's like 10 degrees outside in February in Pagosa Springs. And everybody's still wet. And remember, your parents used to tell you, you never go out in sub-freezing temperatures when your hair and your skin are wet. I'm pretty sure some of them went straight from the hot tubs out to the bus. And we're all on the bus, and we're warming up, and we're going to go back to the house, and we're going to do worship and play games and, and just hang out together, and we're just waiting on one person, Ryan Long. <laughs> Ryan, as I looked out the bus, our driver was like, have you seen Ryan? It's like, ah. So I went out on the street, Snowpack Street, Ryan is like 100 yards down the road, and he is screaming, Johnny! Johnny Depp! Johnny! I said, he's not answering you, Ryan. He's... And, and if you heard somebody calling your name in a place you're not from, you wouldn't go out. You'd send your bodyguards and your security. We found out they were filming The Lone Ranger in Creed, Colorado at that time. And Ryan, Ryan was faced with a choice. He could stay outside in the frigid temperatures. And say I've got to see one more famous person, or I could get on the bus, and go to something greater. And so we left him. We left him, and he's still in Pagosa Springs. <laughs> he eventually walked back, and you see him here every Sunday. Yeah, we left him. He eventually got on, but not before we started pulling away. And so Paul, having pivot, he he's made this pivot. He says. I'm going to let go of that, and I'm going to look ahead. Here is where he lands his thought. He said, all of us, then, who are mature, should take such a view of things. You know, it takes a very mature person to look at that list of good things that we identify with that really gets our temperature out of whack, that we feel so intensely about. It takes a very mature person to say, you know what? Regardless of how I've identified with that, I can let go of that. I can let go of the good things for the sake of the things of God. And then it's like he anticipates this dynamic that we run into, because this is going to happen when we do this. He says, and if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. That is actually one of the most freeing statements we could hear. Because right now in this room, there are those who identify Republican. You say, that's a good thing. And there are those who identify Democrat. You'd say, that's a good thing. There are those in here that are CU. And there are those in here that are CSU. It just got a little warm in here, didn't it? All right? There are those that are two. There are those that are 92. There are those who like contemporary music. There are those who like traditional hymns. And Paul says, they're all good things. But if on some point you disagree, God can make that clear. You can still be in a room with one another. You can still walk into this room and have in mind the things of God. Verse 16, only let us live up to what we have already attained. And what we have already attained is not what I can do and what I've attained and what I've accomplished. It's what Jesus attained at the cross. Paul says that is what we're trying to live up to, what he mentioned in verses 10 and 11. In our life being like Christ, in our suffering being like Christ, in our death being like Christ, so that we would attain to the resurrection life of Jesus Christ. Paul says, you know, when you, when you get a glimpse of the God things, it's a little easier to let go of those good things. We recently watched a movie, it was on Netflix, I can't remember the name of it. Basically, these five ex-special ops guys with the military, they go on this mission, they've retired out of the military, and they want to just set themselves up for life, and so they find this drug lord in this other country, and they basically steal all his money. And they're getting away in this old rickety plane. They've loaded this plane with bags of money. And it's like weighing the plane down. And as they're climbing up the face of this mountain range, on the other end of the mountain range, there's like a whole new life. And they're looking at the cargo. And and just beyond this mountain range, there's like freedom. And they're looking at the cargo. And the engines are starting to cut out. And they're not quite over the mountain range. And they have this realization we got to let go of the cargo. We've got to let go of what we thought were really good things. Because on the other side, there's something so much greater than what we've been living in. And they're looking at that, and they're looking at this, and they're looking at that, and they're looking at this. Are you carrying some cargo? you got a list of really, really good things that you just don't want to let go of. Are there some bumper stickers on your life, that it's not just an interest, it's not just a hobby? You want to know how you know? Three specific places. In our talking, in our spending, in our scheduling. In in my talking, the different things that come out of my mouth, what do I continue to talk about over and over and over? Because Jesus was right. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. We know what's most dear to our heart when we pay attention to what we talk about. In our spending... We all spend on different things. What is that pattern that I continue to spend on? In my scheduling, what is that pattern that I spend the most time on? Could you let go of it? Could you let go of that cargo in order to see something greater ahead? There's this Christian missionary, Jim Elliott. He said it beautifully. He said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. Aren't those just like the most impressive people you've ever met in your life? That whether they have all the things that we spend so much time, money, effort, trying to attain, that they live with a sense of detachment, that this doesn't identify me. In no way does this identify me. You see it throughout scripture, and I'll close with this. I mean, there are numerous people we could point out, numerous people we could take an account of, of their life throughout scripture. But there's one guy I've always just had a, like a sweet spot for in my heart. It's a guy named Enoch, okay? You've got like Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. We know a lot about his life. You've got the writers of the Gospels. You've got the disciples. King David, my goodness. I mean, how many books do we have to dedicate to him? I mean, great things, Okay. Well, we know his victories, we know his struggles, we know his identifiers, but in Genesis 5, you get to this guy named Enoch. In Enoch, we know nothing about his 401k. I, I looked for his tweets. There are no tweets about Enoch. We know nothing about the people he hung out with. And in Genesis 5, over two verses, you know what it says? Enoch walked faithfully with the Lord, and then he was No more. At the end of this life, when people gather to remember your life and my life, if all they can point at is that you walked faithfully with the Lord, that you knew Jesus, would that be enough? Would that be enough? Something worth thinking about. Let's pray. Heavenly Father. Heavenly Father, thank you, thank you, thank you that you just give us a moment this morning to open our eyes, to lift our heads above all the different pursuits, all the different things that we live for, that we strive after week after week after week. Thank you for your word through the Apostle Paul who can remind us that even though we live and we sit in different cultures at different times, he can look around at his life and in turn he can speak into our lives that all the good things that are there are nothing in comparison to the things of you. Living like Christ, suffering like Christ. In our death like Christ, but more than anything, the resurrection life of Christ. Would you write that on our hearts each and every single day? Let us not settle for the good things at the expense of the God things. Reorient our temperature to the joy of you and your things. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.